calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. Why are we so intrigued with the macabre? Like, what gives certain spooky stories the staying power that continues to frighten us generation after generation? And why is it exactly that true love will drive folks to do mad things like subject themselves to werewolves, vampires, and dark forests that surely conceal deadly things? Well, these questions will be explored in a new mini-series I'm pleased to be sharing with you, A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. Hi, this is Fred Greenhalgh, creator of The Dark Tome. Back in 2014, that was two years before Dark Tome Season 1 even kicked off, I had the opportunity to collaborate with Jan C.J. Jones and her Forest Rose Productions to bring this production, A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, to life. However, it has never been available as a free podcast until now. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows melds together six lesser-known, immortal short stories with timeless, relevant themes originally penned by strange literary masters Nathaniel Hawthorne, Bram Stoker, Jack London, Jerome K. Jerome, Wilkie Collins, and Hector H. Saki Munro. This audio version is the original incarnation of the project, but it's also available as a graphic novel and with an educational guide that aligns the graphic novel version and the audio version based in STEAM core curriculum. They offer a listen-look-learn experience for public, private, and homeschool student programs, secular and non-secular, and include activities for accommodated students. So seriously, it is a steampunk, steam education program. Uh, You can learn more at a-strange-journey.com. In today's episode, we meet shy Hunter Brown, who has loved sweet-tempered Faith Gable from afar for several years. It seems like a perfect night to take things a bit further. It is Faith's cousin's annual birthday ball. Might be Hunter's chance to speak his heart until an unwelcome clockwork intruder comes calling. Hmm. So, thus begins our journey with Strange Bedfellows, Episode 1. This performance is produced by Forest Rose Productions in association with Final Rune Productions. Authors of classic tales have excited the imaginations of readers for decades. 
Nathaniel Hawthorne, Bram Stoker, and Jack London, to name but a few. This is a presentation of six classic Gothic horror short stories woven together as a single adventure entitled A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, adapted and written by Jan C.J. Jones. It is 1889. Her Majesty Queen Victoria rules Great Britain. Europe is rife with activity. News travels quickly via steam train, telegraph, and, for some, the telephone. An extinct species of man was uncovered in Neanderthal, Germany, a decade ago, and Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species prompted many to wonder if they were, indeed, fittest to survive events beyond London's cholera epidemic, or the deviant ripper who now stalks Whitechapel alleyways. Within the shadowed study of an isolated country manor, gaslights scantily illuminate taxidermic forms that are aesthetically arranged upon the walls. Their glassy eyes reflect the flames from a fireplace. An ornate marble-topped side table holds a long-stemmed red rose within a cut crystal vase. My dressing coat is comfortable, although the distinction between coat and jacket has blurred in recent fashion, just as male and female roles have become less clear between pursuer and the pursued. Darwin prompts me to wonder who is more fit among our species. Man is no more born a predator than woman is born his prey. Ah, but these roles are ill-defined. Although we males engage in the chase, the female is more adept in the capture. Certain experiences compel such confusion. Predator becomes prey. Innocence mistook for evil. Evil, innocence. Evil can be both predator and prey. For example, Jack the Ripper preys upon women, yet he is hunted by Scotland Yard, is he not? So, who am I, with time to ponder such notions, you ask? Heir? Philosopher? A name to start. Hunter Brown, your host, guide, and servant. There was a time my name served me not, but time changes all. Ah, time to don my top hat and tailcoat, for there is a to-do this evening. As many, I spent much of my life in pursuit of the unobtainable. My journey has been motivated by and for love. It began some time ago. I had attended this ostentation for several years, men in their finest tailcoats and white cravats, beards trimmed, moustaches fine, sculpted in a myriad of styles, perfectly coiffured ladies in exquisite Parisian gowns, with necklines that teased invitation to the delights beneath. Even as layer upon layer of petticoats ballooned their skirts in such a way as to challenge a man's proximity. The uppermost declared yes, the lower bade fight for it, a combination that titillated any natural male and terrified the inexperienced. Admittedly, I was the latter. <laughs> ah, Miss Faith Geibel, for whom my heart yearns. Sweet perfection, 
So beautiful. I hope the fates provide me courage to speak to her this evening. Faith is the niece of Nicholas Geibel, an eccentric toy maker of exceptional skill. He created amazing toys, clockwork innovations that moved and performed in wondrous ways. What had become of Faith's parents was a mystery. Old man Geibel had been unexpectedly summoned away. He had returned with Faith, and here she remained. Guten Abend, meine Freunde. Hallo, hallo. Ja, ja. Sehr gut zu sehen. There he is, old Geibel, standing just on the fringe of everything. How ill at ease he looks. Not a participant, really. A watcher, an eavesdropper, a collector of characters, if you will. You can tell he disdains the girl's chatter. <laughs> there are fewer and fewer men who can dance as I would prefer. <laughs> and how stupidly they talk. How charming you are looking tonight. Do you often go to dances? <laughs> that is Miss Annette Hallsworthy, also Geibel's niece, his sister's offspring, and Faith's first cousin. This was Annette's 17th birthday ball. Annette's parents' demise was no mystery. They died in a coach accident when Annette was very young, making Annette the debutante heir to the Hallsworthy fortune. As others, Geibel seemed to just tolerate her. <laughs> they go on and on. What a warm day it has been. Do you like this waltz? What a charming dress you have on. <laughs> Although they're very careful to forego complimenting your gowns, Faith, since most you wear are mine, given you from the prior season. <laughs> <laughs> Old Geibel disliked Annette's ridiculing Faith. Annette was quite spoiled, while Faith was anything but. <laughs> oh, Cousin Faith, you are still quite pretty in leftovers. Never mind how silly men talk. If a man dances well, he may be a fool for all I care. <laughs> I want him to hold me firmly and take me round steadily and not get tired before I do. <laughs> a clockwork dancer would be just the thing for you, one that would never run down. <laughs> he would never kick you or tread on your toes. Oh, or get out of step, or get giddy with punch and lean on me. <laughs> Nor mop his face with his handkerchief, or spend the evening in the supper room. <laughs> he might have a phonograph inside to grind out the standard remarks, so you wouldn't be able to tell him from a real man. Oh, and I could switch it off! <laughs> Brilliant girl, that Faith. Quite imaginative and an inspiration to her uncle. And he would pay attention to only me. Completely. Entirely. Me, me, me! <laughs> and you would love only him forever and ever. <laughs> That night, Faith gave old Geibel inspiration that gave rise to innovation. The fates, however, did not grant me even a brief conversation with Faith that evening, as I worked to bolster my courage over the following year. The old toy maker labored on the greatest of his creations, and he completed it for Annette's 18th birthday ball, which was much the same as the year prior, but for one event. Old Geibel brought with him a clockwork man. Yes! 
Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you my new friend, Lieutenant Fritz. The clockwork man dipped his head sharply to acknowledge the crowd. Good evening, Lieutenant Fritz, at your service. Just a minor adjustment or two, yes, sir. Uh, which one of you ladies will be first to dance with him? He keeps a perfect time, never tires. He won't tread on your toes, and he will hold you only as firmly as you desire. <laughs> he will delight you with genteel conversation. He can't be everything you say he is, uncle. Faith approached the mechanical man and gently stroked his metallic cheek. Oh, but he is, dear cousin. Though he is neither flesh nor bone, in one way he is superior. He cannot suffer the torments of a broken heart or love's lost. Oh, perfect indeed! Yes, thank you, Face. Step up, Annette. I stand just here. Uh, his timing and gait can be adjusted with these knobs, and the strength of his hold is set with this lever. He is the perfect dancing partner. <laughs> oh, we shall see, old man. Sirs, a waltz! Old Geibel set the knobs and tripped the final switch. The clockwork marvel stepped toward Annette and bowed eloquently. May I have this pleasure, miss? Lieutenant Fritz took Annette into his arms and began to dance in perfect rhythm. Oh! I... Oh! Oh! He will take you in a circle. Be careful that no one knocks against him as it will surely alter your course. <laughs> Apprehensive at first, Annette began to enjoy herself. Oh, why, this is... Oh, he is wonderful. Oh, I think I shall dance with him the rest of my life. <laughs> Oh, yes. oh. How charming you look tonight. Your gown is beautiful. You look lovely. I can dance forever with you. Other couples joined them on the dance floor, and I turned to find... Mr. Brown, isn't it? Why, yes, Hunter Brown, miss. The fates had smiled upon me at last. Miss Geibel, may I have the pleasure of this dance? I would be delighted, Mr. Brown. We seemed well suited. Faith even appreciated my ill attempt at improvised humor. How well our steps agree. You look perfect tonight. I could dance with you forever. <laughs> <laughs> could you? Could you really dance with me forever, Mr. Brown? <laughs> <laughs> we continued the dance with nearly another word until a one of Faith's pink hair ribbons fell onto my sleeve. Rather than taking it back, she gingerly tucked it into my coat pocket. Oh, I've lost a ribbon. I'm no longer perfect. My apologies. I promise to overlook the floor, if you can overlook mine. Are you flawed, Mr. Brown? They say love is blind, especially when it is true love. And I shall never love but one. I knew at that moment I loved Faith Geibel. But my infatuation was interrupted when I spied Felix Benzel as he slyly approached old Geibel. I overheard him. Uh, Geibel, uh, 
very private, sir. Your mechanical marvel so enthuses me. It conjures up possibilities from which we both might profit. A shrewd businessman, her Wenzel guided old Geibel from the room as the clockwork man continued to whirl in that round floor, even after the music stopped. Oh, poor dear. Annette has fallen asleep. No, I believe she has. Annette had ceased to carry her own weight. She hung limp, feet dragging the floor. But she fainted. An expanding patch of blood had begun to seep through the fabric of her dress and prompted pandemonium. Ladies, please, get back! Men, stop this monstrosity! One man, two, then three together, tried to stop the clockwork man, whose twirling momentum repelled them like ragdolls. Old Geibel ran back into the room and onto the dance floor. His attempts to disengage the mechanics of his creation failed. The floor had become slippery with Annette's blood. Geibel slipped and was knocked unconscious by the creature's outstretched arm. The clockwork man's fold tightened around Annette, crushing her. Having seen the area that Geibel had tried to reach, it was I who caught onto the metal man's back. Holding on with one arm, reaching round the other, I found the lever and pulled. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. All gawked in disbelief as there stood the two, inanimate clockwork man holding lifeless Annette. Annette's suffocated, crushed body slid from her partner's loosed embrace onto the blood-stained floor. Uncaring and unaware, that metal statue stood motionless, innocent of any intentional murderous malevolence. A sour end, to what all thought would continue as an annual affair for years to come. How fleeting life can be, how swift its end. Upon returning home, so shocked was I, I had not bid a proper farewell to Faith. I had only her pink hair ribbon and its sweet perfume as a memento. Unable to prove any wrongdoing on his part, the authorities restricted old Geibel to making toys suitable for only child's play. None could be clockwork in their makeup. Crestfallen, within a fortnight, Geibel died with faith at his side. Faith, faith, you, you must, you know, you, you must go. You, <laughs> Having been Annette's first cousin and only living heir, Faith became a wealthy young woman. She had many suitors, but turned them all away, including me. With old Geibel's death, she was exceedingly saddened, 
and fell into great morose. I heard she became confused, uncertain if suitors were more interested in her money than in her heart. There were whispered suspicions that old Geibel had built the clockwork man with malicious intent. He must have realized the financial benefit to Faith upon Annette's death and thus a boon for himself. Howbeit, Faith had reason to leave. Within the year, Faith vanished into the night. My thoughts were seldom devoid of her. How could I have allowed such beauty and sweetness to elude me? I inquired about her at every opportunity. My persistence must have made me look the fool. Finding Faith became my obsession. I had not an inkling as to where Faith could have gone until I received the, the telegram. Faith is here. Stop. Train ticket arranged. Stop. Hurry. Very kindly yours. Daisy Kit. Stop. Faith. Once again you give me purpose. With Faith's hair ribbon in my pocket, it's returned to Faith as justification for my appearance. I boarded the first scheduled train. Faith had taken refuge with one of Geibel's former friends, Daisy Kit, a woman who had once aspired to marry old Geibel. Matron Kit remained a spinster with no children of her own. Faith was therefore special to her, and she feared Faith might end as she had, alone and loveless. I found Faith sitting on a garden bench holding a letter. Why was she not surprised by my presence? Did she know I'd come? Had she sent for me? Dear Faith, why do you sob so? I am such a wicked, wicked woman. What? This sweet creature, wicked? Did the rumours have legs? Perhaps it wasn't old Geibel who had a malicious lean. After all, Faith assisted old Geibel in his tinkerings. Sweet, sweet angel, why do you say this? I am far from sweet, dear hunter. I have been very wicked, and that is the reason I sequestered myself here. No one must ever know, or I would be banished to perish in the murderous alleyways. What could you have done that is so wicked? I am so ashamed. I shall never tell. Never. <laughs> Secrets. And withholding them forces the game in an entirely new direction and requires longer play. Have it your way, little Faith, if it is a secret that you must take to your grave. Oh, I shall. I shall. Oh. I shall prepare my pipe and consider the smoke plumes. Whatever shall we talk about? The weather? The garden? Look how nicely the heather borders complement the lilacs, and so forth and so on. Is that what we shall do? Faith, you cannot fraught my existence this way. If evil dwells within you, you must rid it from yourself by confession. If not to me, perhaps a clergy, a physician, a mute. Faith, that letter, is that the source of your turmoil? Ah, the correct question is the key that opens the lock. Faith released the letter to me. My dearest Faith, you now must realize that we must marry, as is required by social mores, after our intimacies. Fondly, your betrothed, Billy. Intimacies? Faith, whatever have you done? I am a wicked, wicked woman. <laughs> <laughs>
and no one knows just how wicked I am, except Billy, now you, and I don't want to marry him. If I had only known... Known what? That I would have to marry him after... After you what? <laughs> Tell me. Oh, you would never forgive me, sweet hunter. Please believe me. I am a faithful woman. Of course you are, my dear. How long must we endure? Dear Faith, you can trust me, I implore. Please end this insanity and confide in me. There was no one to tell me. We were with each other so much. I did not know anything of the world then. If I had only known. Yes. Go on. We were together almost every evening. You and Billy? We were with each other so much, and I was so, so young. And afterward, he said, We must marry! <laughs> why, why, the scoundrel! He should have the life pummeled out of him! Oh, no, no! Billy is not a scoundrel. He is a good man. It is I who should be pummeled. <laughs> much more than I may be persuaded to accommodate. <laughs> I knew you would be angry with me after what I've done. I am becoming frustrated, but I could never be angry with you, or at least not for long. <laughs> now tell me, tell me everything about Billy and you. I fear it may repulse you, dearest hunter. <laughs> I sat on the garden bench beside Faith. She took a deep breath and turned her face to me. Her tear-filled eyes met mine, and I fell into those deep loosened pools, her eyes ever inviting, beckoning. I could not resist them. I didn't care what had happened with Billy, between him and her. At that moment, I wouldn't have cared if Faith had bludgeoned brash Annette Hallsworthy in her sleep. Good riddance, and would have volunteered to bury the trollop's body myself. Good God, what was I thinking? What had become of my civility? The power of those eyes drawing me to her, and her to me. Our lips touched ever so lightly, then pressed. Oh, heaven's ecstasy found in such a simple thing as a kiss. Was it an angel's kiss, or that of a demon? Had I been bewitched? I didn't care. I knew in that moment that, that brief, moment of ecstasy. I had to make her mine at any cost. You see? Great Zeus, don't do that! It happened just like that with Billy, and I knew I had to leave when Billy told me... Told you what? That I had to marry him because we'd kissed, and... and that it was customary when a man and woman kiss that they must be married. And I said, I thought that was a very wicked custom. I know I'm terrible and I can't help it. Can you ever forgive me, dearest hunter? You and Billy kissed. That is what this is all about. Well, of course. Whatever else. Faith, we just kissed. <gasps> oh! not obligate marriage. Oh, is that so? Oh, then it's a pity, as I think, 
I would like to have had to marry you. I took the foolish girl in my arms and kissed her full on. It was lengthy, succulent as honey on warm bread, and the universe melted away. When I left, my mind was filled with so many plans, sparked by flutterbys that had replaced my heart, and fire that fueled my soul, and other nether parts yearnings I had heretofore managed to discreetly disregard. I called on Faith the next day. Matron Kit answered the door. Her expression was severe, and it was evident she'd been crying. Hunter, she's gone. Disappeared. What? Disappeared? No! Uninvited, unannounced, a coach collected Faith in the dead of night. She took only enough time to pack a small bag and left no word as to her destination. Her last words to me were, Don't follow. Send no one. It might involve the Geibel family estate, from whence a letter had come to me years ago. It had come from Oradia, on the western edge of Romania. Oh, to go there would be speculative. To follow, certainly dangerous. My entire being ached with a sickening pain, as though my soul had been torn from me. My heart raced as I knew that whatever I must endure, I would find faith, and I would never, never let her slip away again. Matron Kit described the mysterious coach. It was blackest ebony with horses to match. The driver, a brute of a man, I presume to be a non-English-speaking Romanian, as he said not a word. He may have been a mute. He was intimidating. I knew I would need assistance from someone with knowledge of those remote places. And I would find that help in Paris. As Hunter Brown boards a steamer bound for Paris, we wonder who he intends to enlist in his quest to find Faith Geibel, his true love. Will Hunter learn the identity of the mysterious Romanian coach driver, where Faith was taken, and why? Is Faith safe? What perils lie ahead? Join us next time for the continuation of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. Well, have you ever thought things were going just swell with your one true love, only to have her mysteriously vanish and cross the European continent? Well, no, me neither, but can't be great. Our intrepid hunter will not be deterred, but his strange journey is just beginning, I promise you, and we'll discover that next time here on A Journey with Strange Bedfellows on the Dark Tome. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was written by Jan C.J. Jones, as adapted from or inspired by the following classic short stories. The Dancing Partner by Jerome K. Jerome. A Wicked Woman by Jack London. The Traveler's Story of a Terribly Strange Bed by Wilkie Collins. Young Goodman Brown by Nathaniel Hawthorne. 
The Music on the Hill by Hector H. Munro, a.k.a. Saki, and Dracula's Guest by Bram Stoker. A Journey with Strange Bedfellows was directed by Fred Greenhalge of Final Rune Productions, featuring Paul Hodgson as Hunter Brown, Tess Van Horn as Faith, Jenny Wren Walker as Annette, Kat Mararos as Girlfriend, Philip Hobby as Old Geibel, Tony Riley as Francis, Susan Riley as Matron Kit and Hostess, Tim Bates as Driver, J.P. Guimont as Cleric Traveler, Janice Gardner as Witch and Mistress Caretaker, William Dufries as The Narrator, Werewolf, and Mute. Additional voices by the cast. Recorded at The Studio in Portland, Maine with James Kerwood. Mixed by Final Rune Productions and mastered by Mind's Eye Productions. Production assistants Stephen Colby and Kelly M. Jones. Sound design by Eric Mooney. Additional foley and sound design by Adam McGinty. Original score by Peter Van Riet, with Eleanor Price as the pan flute. Also featuring Vampire Waltz by Pavel Krichtalik via Audio Jungle. Additional music acquired and licensed from Music to Hughes. Produced by Forest Rose Productions in association with Final Rune Productions. Copyright 2014 by Forest Rose Productions, LLC. Learn more about this story as well as the oddity and magic of the late 1800s at www.a-strange-journey.com. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.